Hello and welcome to the Motherkind podcast with me, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat to a different guest about all things motherhood and well-being. This week I'm chatting with the wonderful Emma Mills. Emma is a meditation teacher. She also has a psychology degree. She's on the well-being board at Neon and regularly contributes to The Telegraph, Red Magazine and Psychologies on meditation. Her first book is called Inhale, Exhale, Repeat, and she's currently writing a second. Emma, as you'll hear, is really funny. She's down to earth and incredibly kind. I met this woman just earlier, one of my friends, and she's also one of my mentors in my work. The first question she said was, how are you? You look well. What have you been up to? Because she helps me with my work. Right. And she said, and how's your inner peace? And I just thought, when your business mentor asks you first, it's a great question. Pieces, she said, because when you got that, you can handle all the crap, can't you, that goes on. And I just thought, oh, that's so lovely. She's such a nice lady. She's also one of the calmest, most in-the-moment people I've ever met. I left our chat with two things, a desire to read more poetry and a real sense of calm. We chat about how she got started, not preparing, curiosity, feelings, affirmations and magic lamps. I hope you enjoy it and here it is. So Emma, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Oh, Yeah, just to set a bit of context, Emma and I are sat in my living room on a beautiful sunny afternoon. Yeah, it's really lovely. Oh. Yeah, really, really lovely. And I was just thinking, when I walked here from the station, there's so many nice trees here in this part of town. I wouldn't have expected it, but I think because it's so close to the middle. Yeah. There's so, really beautiful trees out there down the road. So I'm in Clapham and we've got the common as well, the end of the road, which yeah. is just beautiful. It makes a difference, I think. Massive difference having such lovely greenery near to where you live. It really does. I want to talk to you about all of that because you talk about that in the book, in how Exhale Repeat, which we're going to talk about. But to start with, can you just say a little bit about who you are and your journey to being a meditation teacher? So I teach meditation and I write about meditation, well-being and those kind of things. I feel like I've always done this sort of thing. Feel like it's always been the sort of thing that I've been doing, but it's just the face of it has changed a lot of times. So from when I was very young, I would say I've always been interested in things. You know, what is all this? And at first, when I was very young, I was interested in politics, interacting with people on that level. And I was interested in that. I worked in Parliament for a very short period before I realised it wasn't for me. <laughs> How um, did you know it wasn't for you? <laughs> I don't know, just wasn't. You know, you just know, don't yeah. you? I'm in the wrong lane. You think, yeah, not, not for me. Although I met really nice people, so I can't complain. I thought that was the level that would be good for me, but it, it, I wanted to try something else. Then after that, I studied psychology, went on to look into experience from that angle, you know? So you can have the political, you look at society, and it's a very outward-facing approach, looking at the way the world works and how society works. And then I felt very inclined to look at the person, from a psychological perspective. So I studied psychology and then I went to work at Mind, which is a mental health charity. And I was interested in that side of things, really. So I was looking into it there. And underneath all of those things, I've got loads of interests, you know, interest in hobbies and things like that. And one of them has always been spiritual sort of things, even from when I was very young. And I continued with that line of inquiry in my private time while I was working at Mind, but not in my working time. It wasn't really popular then, 
It was unwelcomed, you know, at all. And I worked at Mind. To go and use the services at Mind, you have to get a referral. The one I was at. So you get referred from the doctor or from social care. One thing I noticed was that a lot of my friends and my colleagues who were working in the city and who weren't, they wouldn't necessarily refer themselves to Mind and they wouldn't get a referral. But I thought they might like what we were doing, you know, if it were offered in a different way. So and then I opened my small office in Shoreditch and decided to offer it all out, you know, to everyone. And that was teaching meditation or, oh, or that was broader doing sort of logical work. Right, okay. Yeah. Therapy or Yeah, very, very light therapy, yeah. therapy, you could call it. Incorporated in that I would recommend meditation and tell people about meditation, introduce them to it. It was kind of a a foundational this is something that is very necessary. And did you have a strong personal practice at that time? So yeah. you, and what did that look like? Were you doing sort of twice a day or um, so then I was doing this from a psychological angle. I felt that the, the meditation was fundamental and I wanted to just concentrate on that. That was where my attention was, where my enthusiasm was, and then it was where my work went, you know, in that direction. And I carried on doing that, really, and, and I just did that, you know, meditation-related things. And the, the meditation-related things were informed by all the other stuff. When it was you know, with someone chatting and we're learning about this meditation-related thing and then it's necessary to introduce this other element from my past training, then I do. You know, that's how it works, isn't it? When yeah, exactly. You, you sort of, you're a whole person, you know, all your experiences. And that's how I came to meditation. And all along the time, from working at Martin Hours, writing a blog about my experiences and all my different enthusiasm through politics, psychology, philosophy, poetry, and the blog was the basis for the book that's how the publisher found me and that was how I got into writing. Mm-hmm. But my personal practice is to go back to that. At the time, I was going to study with a lady named Carol who was really nice and we were studying meditation together and meditating together. And she was really fantastic. Mm-hmm. And my personal practice, I've never ever had any rules, you know, like 10 minutes a day, it's not how I roll. <laughs> I really like not that. Um, yeah, yeah I'm just, I just do what I want, really. But I do do it because I like it. And different times of my life, it's looked different. And I couldn't have predicted it, and I didn't do it on purpose. It's just the shape it took at that time. I think that's what's so good yeah. about a meditation. It's such a broad term, isn't it? How do you define it? Do you have a definition for it? Well, uh, there's two definitions, I think. The first one... In my book, literally, (laughs) I refer to meditation as anything that's kind of... Meditation could include visualisations, mantras, mindfulness. It's a broad term, like the way that fitness could be used to describe sports or Pilates or whatever. So I used it in that way in the book because I wanted to make meditation very accessible and allow lots of roots into it, rather than be very strict and say this is what it is and you're not doing it right if you're not doing this so I think it can include meditation as any activity where there's a a self-reflection maybe a time to pause Uh, maybe you're interacting with your mind in a certain way the kind of imagination you know your imaginative exercise or guided thing so they could all be called meditations contemplation all of it that's one way I would describe it another way of describing what meditation in its essence is for me, is when I close my eyes and then I breathe a bit and then there is no movement. I'm not saying no thoughts, 
There's no movement towards anywhere. I'm not trying to be calm. There's no urge to go out to anything or to reach for anything. But when I sit and close my eyes, and then when all of that going outwards stops, there is just a recognition of my own being, my own awareness, and I just sit there, aware of it. (laughs) You know? So that's what meditation for me, in its essence, is just simple being in your own being, abiding as awareness, being as your own awareness. Although when I say that, I think, oh, God, that sounds so abstract, and people will go, I think that's what's so interesting about it. But it's hard to describe it because it's not objective it's nothing it's not like some state that you can achieve it's just being I think that's what I say when people often oh describe to me what it's like when you're meditating I'm like you really just have to experience it yeah it's yeah. sometimes like it's hard to put words to it. Yeah. And you talk about in the book, didn't you, that, that simple inner shift. Yeah. Is that what you mean with just shutting your eyes and, and quietly going inwards for a moment, however yeah. long that might be? Yeah, I would describe it like that. The only thing that puts me off describing it, even though I was the one who said it like that, is people might sit there and they're waiting for a shift. You know, they're, where's this shift going to happen, you know? And it's not like that. I would be cautious to expect some sort of big happening. I think that sometimes is what is a big misconception around meditation and mindfulness as well, yeah. is that because the benefits can be unproven to be actually now, yeah. aren't they? You know, a calmer mind, a different outlook on life, a greater capacity for joy. I think people sometimes talk to me about this is that they, they expect that when they shut their eyes. What I've noticed with people learning to meditate and as well, I'd love to get your view. So often when we first do what you described and shut our eyes, the noise. Yeah can be quite overwhelming can't it and yeah. it was certainly for me when I started I found it really hard to sit because my head was so busy yeah was that your experience my experience when I first started was what is this it you know <laughs> yeah is this what, what all the fuss is about yeah why not you know, I'm just sitting here so how did it put you in then how <laughs> did you start to love it so much that it's now your well I just um kept doing it and then um I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I feel quite fortunate insofar as when I was going to spend time with Carol, Carol Leonard Morgan, um, when I first was doing it, it wasn't as popular as it is now, so I hadn't heard about it in the press. I just met Carol through mind. And I'd had quite a lot of um, spiritual experiences, you know, sort of when I was growing up, and that withered and waned, I don't know you want to say it, when I'm, you know, throughout my, my life. Uh, met Carol through mind and so we really met to learn meditation also to discuss these experiences she used to work in marketing as well she was quite sort of together you know but also very understanding you know she she knew a lot of things so I never went to it all these ideas of I'm going to get all this stuff out of it I just thought it looks interesting and at the time I was working with mind and and I had a very good enjoyable job but it was quite tiring and so sometimes I'd go and meet her and just fall asleep you know but it's just how it was. I was tired, you know. But I just was interested, you know. But it's like sometimes you're interested and you want to keep going. And over time, the interest carried on. And, uh, and then as I kept doing it, then I kept learning new stuff about myself and having new insights. And I don't remember really doing it to get something. Very rarely. Maybe I did not to get calm, but just to sort of learn. You know, I was interested. I was curious. And it keeps being like that to today. Every time, it's like, wow, you know, I like it. You know, it's true, isn't it? That curiosity to ourselves, just yeah. having that moment of thinking, oh, I wonder who I am beyond a mum or 
a wife or a sister or a brother or even my name or my job or mm. who you know what I've got mm. it's really given me as an ability to see myself as something beyond all of those yeah labels yeah there's a nice lovely. there's a nice exercise in the book that you talk about that I really like called the gladiator is it oh yeah where yeah. you talk about trying to see people beyond all the labels that we're putting mm. On them is that right yeah got that right yeah yeah and I really like that because I think especially for mums it's so easy for us to label ourselves with that role and even label ourselves with feelings like I'm so stressed mm. I'm so busy I'm so and I think what my practice has given me is yeah is a way of going inwards from some of that and just detaching from some of those words or mm. feelings or thoughts mm. so you teach meditation something that I hear a lot is that people are too busy mm. or they don't have time what would you say to sort of a busy mum who you think could really benefit from this how do you advise people to fit it in or do they not fit it in like what, yeah. what do you you know sometimes it seems to me anyway that you can actually be busy sometimes you're actually busy do you know you've got so many responsibilities and you've got from the minute you open your eyes you might have pets or children or anyone you know and you've got a family and you've got parents to look after and you know you have to go to work full time and to get back and then do dinner and some people are genuinely very busy do you know what I mean occupied right up until the minute they close their eyes mm. and so I feel slightly reticent to say I'll just do this you know because I can appreciate some people it's like that and there are some days where I'm really busy, you know, and I've got a lot of things to do. And because I really want to meditate, it's really something I really like doing, like going for a run or something, then I try to make sure I get some space to do that. Because all my days look different, I try to find a way to do that. And for me, I like to get up in the morning and do it in the morning. But if I have to leave very, very early and I'm too tired to get up, then because it's something I really want to do, I make a room for it somewhere in the day. And if I'm really busy, then maybe I have to do it at some time that I've never really thought of doing it, you know, trying to find a way. And there are other times when we're, perhaps we're not entirely busy. We're not completely up against the wall. We've got a tiny bit more room. And then we could look to our schedule and think, well, OK, I could find a bit of a window there or a bit of a window there, maybe when I'm on the train or when the children have gone to bed or I'm trying to think, it must be really busy to have children, but then, you know, trying to find a time when you're waiting for them to come out of school or there might be something, you know, where you can find that five minutes and it might be you do another thing in that time, like look on the internet or, or ring someone and maybe you just don't do that and do meditation. But I'm not judging. You know what I mean? If you want to just go in your friend, then you should do that. But you could find a time. So what I would say is try and find a time because what seems to happen is when you do meditate regularly, you feel like you have more time, even if you don't, you know? I don't know if you've experienced that. You feel more space, spacious around the things. So it's worthwhile. It doesn't have to be a set time, 20 minutes, 10 minutes. It hasn't got to be anything. It can just be three or four minutes of just sitting and listening to your breath and your own being, your own, your own how you are in that moment. It just be very, very simple like that. And like in the book, there's loads of little mini practices you can do loads of them and so you can pick them for any time of the day so I would say that if you haven't got any time to stop formally and I think we all as responsible 
women can look at our life and think, have I really got any time? Maybe I haven't, and maybe I have, and you have a look, don't you? Different days. So if you haven't got any time to do a formal practice, which when I say that, I mean to sit down with your eyes closed and do meditation like that, it might be that you can read a book about meditation, you know, listen to this sort of podcast thing, all these big people you're interviewing, get interested Somebody says a concept or an idea in one something you've read and then take it with you into the day, you know, and then just live your life, do all your chores and your chores, <laughs> you know, your responsibilities and have the question inside. Do you know, the question might be, like we were just saying earlier, who am I beyond beyond this label of mother or friend or might be um, who's better, Led Zeppelin or Beatles, it could be any question. You have the question inside and you go into your day with it and then you see all that exercise you were saying about the gladiators. Mm. You just have that idea and you think, well, Emma said this in the book, is it true or not? I'm going to have a look. Then you test it out and then you maybe you bring that curiosity into your day. So when you are at work and you go to that water cooler and you think, you just have a look and then you, you're living you're taking the questions and the insights into your day and sort of living them out a little bit to see if they're any cop, you know? That's all I can think of, really. Mm-hmm. So I have sort of quite set, some people call them mantras, I call them affirmations that I would say to myself throughout the day, especially when stuff starts to go wrong or Jessie starts to have a meltdown. Have you got any that you carry with you or do they change? How do you use that sort of idea of taking something with you through the day? With uh, affirmations and quotes, I think there's something really nice about keeping them. If you can have a little book and keep them, then carry it around. I think it's really nice because sometimes you read a thing and you should definitely curate your own book, you know, make your own quotes that you find that resonate with you. Because you can read something and then you read it and in that moment there's like a yes, isn't, isn't there, inside. You go, yeah, that's it, you know, that's it. And then you kind of recognise it as true. And it might be something like um, being in love shows a person who they really are. Loads of quotes like that. And then you read it and you, oh, let's think of a good one. Oh, some, one of those quotes that says, we're all one, let's all hold hands and be friends, you know, something like that. And then you read that and you think, yeah, that's right, you know. And then you put it in your quote book and then you go out to your day and then someone's rude to you or you have this difficult interaction or someone sounds something really bad in the paper or, you know... And then I think it's in those moments when there's like a challenge, something that you've understood and you felt to be true, that I don't think you should try to live the understanding of the quote in so much as you go, this person's been unreasonable, and then now because I'm following this rule of thumb, I'm going to be really nice back because we're all meant to hold hands. Not like that, because for me that's not what it's about. It's about constantly evolving understanding of the truth and how things are, but it might be just to be able to have that awareness in that moment of think, oh, right, okay, so how am I feeling and what's happening and noting all your own reactions and what's going on outside and developing an understanding of the truth of things, really. So to have a quote to carry around and also because the conditioning is so strong from, you know, how you normally think or how we normally think. And so to remind yourself of something that you feel to be true, I think can be a good thing and poems as well. You're really into your poetry, Oh, you? God, yeah, yeah. I loved that through yeah. the book. Oh, did you? Yeah, I loved oh, it. Oh, please. But yeah, yeah, I really like poetry a lot. Um, so poetry. is that what you carry around with you? Do you have a book of quotes and poetry? Yeah, yeah. I have um, quotes that I like. I usually just have a book of poems that I'm reading at that time that I carry around. 
And it's something that I used to do. I don't know if everyone has their own version of this, but um, sometimes when I read a poem, not just any old poem, but a nice special poem that speaks to me, you know. And I've got a particular book called Soul Food by Neil Astley. And it's an anthology of sort of meditation or poems. Usually part of my practice involves looking at poems. And uh, in the morning I read a couple of poems and then it reminds me of what's true, you know, and who I am and what's true and how I want to feel and what I know is possible. And then I just like to set off into the day having, you know, had a dip in that pool. Even if I go out and it all goes wrong, you know, I just like starting off that way. And so I like to bring the poems with, and when I read them, it reminds me of the truth of things, whatever that is, I can't describe, you know. Uh, I don't necessarily like get challenged in my life and then go and read a poem. I don't see them as a resource that can give me something like that, or like getting something out of it. I just appreciate them. But certainly, um, something that really helped me, and it might not help listeners if they don't like poems just yet, but they can think of another thing they like, is um, when I first started going to give talks or lessons to groups, there were some times where I'd get there and I'd feel nervous or apprehensive. And one thing that really helped me, and that I still like to do whenever I feel like it, is before I start or go on or get there, I like to read a couple of poems, you know, the ones I like. And then in those moments when I've read it, I feel completely at one with my highest understanding of who I am and the truth of things, you know, which I don't know if that sounds really highfalutin, (laughs) but it's like you remember love, you know, you remember love, you remember yourself, and I remember who's in charge, which is me. I just feel immersed in that place. And then when I do start going out to speak or talk, I feel far more personally removed from it. I feel like um, less about me and less about my own small feelings. Do you know? Not that there's anything wrong with them and and not that they're any less, but I can't describe it, I'm sorry. I'm more like um, immersed in the love from which I want to draw to share. Yeah, I really um, get that. Do you know what I mean? I'm really less selfish, less self-interested, more in the bigger picture, more in line with what the message of the poems are, which is just love, you know. I noticed that when I did read those poems before a talk, it all went better. So <laughs> I think that's it, isn't it? Just relying on your experience a bit. It went better when you read the poems, so then you yeah. build that into your practice. And I, I really relate to that. I don't read poetry. I read a couple of pages from a spiritual book that I like. Mm. So I really like Eckhart Tolle or, you know, even something by Oprah. I've just finished her book called The Wisdom of Sundays. Yeah. Where it's like snippets of all these amazing teachers, you know, like Carolyn Miss. Mm. Or, um, there's some amazing teachers in there. And I'll read a couple of pages of that. Yeah. Like you say, I think it just helps me get perspective. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, get perspective. Yeah. Because I think it's so easy, obviously, to get totally lost in our own mini dramas or the dramas of our kids or our friends or our family and I think like you say the conditioning is strong that that's all it is and that's what it's about yeah to look at things from a very limited perspective and then to broaden out into a wider perspective is yeah like the affirmation that I say throughout my day is it's all happening perfectly Mm. and I just that just really anchors me like when I'm late or something goes wrong or 
you know, I mess something up, which happens most days, I'll just remind myself that it's all happening perfectly. And that yeah. just gives me like, it's such a, like you say, it's not like a platitude. It's not, I don't paste it over my feelings. Yeah. I think it just... Well, that's a platitude. Yeah. I've never heard that. Have you not? No. There you go. I'll give you that one. <laughs> oh, I like that. Platitude. Yeah. Yeah, just keep going on with my day, really, without yeah. t- totally losing my yeah, mind. Yeah, That's lovely. <laughs> so you talked about that you realise what's in charge and it's not you. Mm. So is that your sort of version of spirituality? How would you define it, that it's... Well, so I am in charge, but I suppose what it feels like is uh, in that instance, just in that instance that I described, if I was um, going there and then I was, especially when I first started, I might have had a lot of thoughts like, I want to do it well, is it going to be received well, will people like it? And there was a lot of thoughts like that in that instance. Attached to an outcome or... Yeah, attached to an outcome, all of that. And then wanting it to go a certain way, you know. And then when the person, me, the subject of those feelings is kind of removed, not removed, but is less important, becomes less important, then um, you're able to um, relinquish this small position of um, how I think it ought to go and what I think, you know. And then it's like um, you give yourself up to kind of just an idea of the best thing happening. Do you know what I mean? To just want the best thing to happen, whatever that is. And, and usually when I go, you know, oh, this was some time ago, but, um, you know, even today, every now and again, not very often, thank God, but every now and again, I might have to, be going, have to go and do a presentation somewhere. And if I have to prepare in advance, which I don't like doing, but if I do, and then it, it confuses me because I like to just make it up. Not make it up as in pull it out of thin air. Well, yeah, pull it out of thin air, yeah, to make it up. And it's so much more organic that way and it flows and it's relevant to the audience or relevant to the people, isn't it? Well, it is for me. And so if I have to show, because sometimes people don't always work in that way, they want to know sort of what you're going to say. And then sometimes it stifles me and then I find, you know, and it always goes less well. So, yeah, not necessarily like there's this some outside force who's in charge, but a loosening the reins of this limited perspective of how it should go for me and whatever happens to me is, is more interested in the higher good for everyone there, including me, everyone. Sounds like you're accessing flow. Well, it's like a flow and it's being in touch with the great what is. Do you know what I mean? Being in the dance of... It's very difficult to talk about it. Yeah. It's like, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. When you've touched it a little bit, then you can go, yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> you're right it's hard to put words around it like when people ask me to define my spirituality I find that really difficult yeah because it's a feeling well yeah and also who wants to define it you know just leave it in the book I had to write about presence at mm. some point there's a, a thing uh, an activity in the book called the mirror mirror meditations so it invites you to have a look in the mirror and observe the normal way that the mind and thoughts interact with the, the image that you see the reflection and then to explore also the awareness with which the perceived image is known. What's seen and then what is it that sees, you know? And it's looking at, at that and, the, and I suppose in that exercise I wanted to introduce the idea of there being the subject and the object and looking at the perceiver a little bit more rather than being occupied with what's perceived. But then when you're trying to write about that, for me, you know, in my first book because I'm trying to write about that and it, you know it's very hard not to sound like the person's possessed you know <laughs> so it's quite difficult to talk about it because it's not objective it doesn't really matter I don't think to start defining it all that matters is if you're happy or not 
and exploring these things and looking into your happiness. Mm. Are you happy? Yeah. In this moment, very. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. about to ask you how you define it, but we've just been talking yeah. about not trying to define things. No. <laughs> yeah. No, just, you know, you know if you're happy. So the thing that I think is interesting about happiness, for me, I've come to learn that happiness is quite a fleeting feeling in the same way as sadness is or anger or... And I think for a long time I thought I wanted to be happy. And now I've sort of grown up a bit and I realise I'm not sure that's realistic to be happy all the time. To me, it feels like an emotion that, you know, I can get happy when I buy something or I see something, but that's not what I'm aiming for all the time I guess I'm aiming for a serenity I talk about yeah is that true for you I met this woman just earlier one of my friends and she's also one of my mentors in my work the first question she said was how are you you look well what have you been up to because she helps me with my work and she said and how's your inner peace and I just thought when your business mentor asks you first great question (laughs) because when you got that you can handle all the crap can't you that goes on and I just thought, oh, that's so lovely. She's such a nice lady. I want a business mentor yeah, to ask me how my inner peace is. She's just my friend, but she's, you know, she's more experienced and so she helps me, you know. And so for me, it's like um, sometimes I can be really amazingly joyful and happy and excited and I can be very creative and then other times I might be kind of sad and then other times I could be angry, all feelings. And then... Definitely, there is an undercurrent of being, you know. For me, it doesn't feel like an undercurrent of bliss, you know, just for me. It's just being. It's like a, I'm aware that there is some kind of current underneath it all. And just feeling that there, knowing that there, when sometimes, like, the waves of experience can be really big or whatever, I'm aware of this current being there. I'm aware of my being and... And that is very nice, although it doesn't sort of make me immune to the whole spectrum of experience. When you said, how do I aim? What do I want? And I was thinking that, you know, what feels nicest is to feel happy. And what feels nicest is words like openness and friendship and generosity and love and beauty and peace. And all of those things feel nicest. You know, so I really enjoy those. However, I am open to the other ones because just like you said earlier when you said... It's all happening perfectly. It's all happening perfect. Sometimes there might be an awful feeling or when someone dies, something bad happens, then there's a sadness, but I feel like it's really legitimate, you know? And that kind of, in its own way, is beautiful, you know? Not that I'm asking for it. No, I really get that. I I think we've gone too far the other way in a lot of our sort of Western stuff where we try and block out the bad feelings. I mean, how a feeling can be labelled as bad, I'm not sure, but it seems to me like sometimes we go that way and I totally agree with what you're saying. I think most of my pain has come from trying to avoid the painful feelings. Because actually when I just feel them, it's not so bad. (laughs) <laughs> no, and, and, you know, what I found is, I agree, that some feelings I might feel really legitimate, like a, a deep sadness. Sometimes I just feel really sad, even though nothing's bad happening, because I feel like sort of a sadness, you know. In the same way, I feel happy for no reason, you know. It just sort of is there. But there's some feelings that I feel really legitimate, even though they're not comfortable. And there are other feelings which I'm interested in, which there's an emotion that might come up, and 
I can't really describe it. It's like um, a feeling or an emotion, if we were, you know, talking about emotions, and it comes up, and it's not really got any basis in reality. It's like, um, you know, if you feel, you think your boss doesn't like you, and then you go home and you're miserable about it, and, you know, and it's, you don't know if it's true or not. Or, I don't know. I'm trying to clutch at ideas now, but do you see what I mean? There's a, it comes from ignorance, you know, and not like you're a bad person and you're stupid ignorant, but not knowing the truth. And so sometimes when there's an emotion that comes and it's not very nice and it's, it isn't very nice and it makes me think, what am I believing about my existence or my reality about life that is causing this, this feeling which is coming from a sense of lack, you know, which is not coming from a, I don't know. Yeah, we, t- I, we talk about that a lot in um, coaching. And when I did my coaching practice, you know, call it limiting beliefs. We talk yeah. about it a lot, like what exactly as you were saying, what is it that it's I'm giving rise to this? this yeah, what is it that I'm pre-programmed to think? And I think actually when some people said to me, What's your meditation practice given you? which I'm asked quite a bit, I will often say that it's given me a separation from some of those thoughts and the ability to hold them up to the light. Yeah. Such as that person doesn't like me, or you always make that mistake, or you're not good enough some days, or to start thinking that I need to be guilty about certain things to do with Jesse. That's what it's given me a lot of, is the ability to just hold those thoughts, as you were saying. So is, this, is this true? Yeah, is it true? You know, you might have thought like, oh, no one at work likes me, or, you know, I'm not pretty enough, or whatever your thought might be. And then you can say, is it true? And, you know, have people said that they do like me? And you can question it like that. But you can also, I would say, be interested in around whom... Is this worry based? About whom are all my preoccupations? About this I? You know, I would look into that. I would turn the attention back round. I can't think of how to describe Yeah, like the self-obsession. Yeah. Around whom are all these preoccupations based? And, you know, I'd look there and use the negative emotion as an opportunity to self-discover, even though it's very difficult. Yeah. (laughs) It takes practice and it's, you know, seems to be that way for me. Other people might feel it different. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah I love that it's using I think we can use everything as an opportunity to self-discover yeah even a toddler's tantrum because I have done that once really? <laughs> it's a good experience oh wow yeah yeah, I, yeah yeah what an experience yeah I like what you just said everything is an opportunity that's very nice I've just been doing a lot of writing for my next little body of work and um, book yeah wow. um, that's exciting yeah thanks because I have this really interested in poetry and art and nature as forms of beauty not just for the pleasure of looking but also for their for many other reasons and I was interested also while I was thinking about it and how readily poems point me back to the middle you know and how I suppose everything is a everything could be a pointer back to the middle it's nice what you say yeah no Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then before we finish, I ask at the end of every interview the same question, and it's quite a big question, so feel free to take your time and have a think about it. But I like to ask guests and people that I'm chatting to if they could give all the mums that are listening and out there in the world one thing, what would it be and why? So some people said self-love oh, right. or energy someone said to just give them whatever they need yeah like a magic i give them an aladdin's lamp and they could get whatever <gasps> they want 
times three. <laughs> yeah, because both some mums might say, like, oh, I just want five minutes to myself, and other mums might, you know, want peace, other mums want energy. They just, you know, they want all different things. Just give them... I know that. that. No, that's like the best answer ever. I'd like them. I'd like this magic lamp. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So would I. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't make it just for the mums. Maybe we should make it for everyone. Yeah. Just have your three wishes. Yeah. Oh, I would wish for permanent inner peace. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) There's this lovely um, poem by. uh, It's either by Rumi or Hafez or. Kabir, one of those kind of Sufi poets. Um, and in it, he says um, something along the lines of, I shoot an arrow left, it goes right. I chase the hog down the lane, it trips me over. I want to get money, so I sell to this man and I get conned. I'm making it all up now because I can't remember the actual lines, but the sentiment is the same. I should be suspicious of what I want. It's how it ends. And it's just, yeah, it's really, really lovely. And ever since I read that poem, which is so much better than how I've just described it, it makes me think, yeah, there's, it's all context dependent, isn't it? But sometimes I have a healthy scepticism of what I think I want. Do you know what I mean? Totally. But not in a debilitating, I'm very, I still like to be empowered, you know? I'm just thinking of the readers, the listeners, you know, you've got to be empowered, but to have a, an interest in why do we want this and, Sometimes you don't know really what's good for you, you know? That's been my experience, actually. The worst things have been the best things and the best things have sometimes been the worst things. Yeah, yeah, I could believe that. There's no rules of thumb, is there? Just just little pointers along the way and you think, yeah, that's nice. I love that. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's been brilliant. I've loved it. Me too. Thank you so much. It's nice to be chatting and sharing this time thank you oh thank you i hope you enjoyed the episode please check out my instagram where we continue the conversation and i post daily about all things motherhood and well-being also if you haven't already have a look at my website because i've been writing more and more blogs and i'm also putting on there all the events and talks that i'm giving And of course, if you haven't, then please do have a listen to some of the other episodes because I'm chatting to some really incredible women that I'd love you to enjoy. And if you did enjoy it, then please, please leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. So thank you very much. Mm